if you've ever listened to a podcast or read one of my books and thought, I wish I knew if that was the right thing for my body, or how could I make that work with my schedule and responsibilities, I've got something for you. A new workbook by me coming out late spring. My Perfect Movement Plan, the Move Your DNA all-day workbook, is for your specific situation because you are going to finish writing it. When you're finished, you will have a guide to a personalized movement diet that nourishes your body in the ways that you need it to. My Perfect Movement Plan is available for pre-order now, and if you pre-order from the publisher, there's a bonus, a free ticket to an upcoming online workshop, Spot the Missing Micronutrients. It's a 90-minute class where you'll learn about five often missing movement micronutrients, and these are subtle movements of the body. In this case, we'll be looking in the shoulders and the hips and the feet that are often tied to pain or injury in those areas. In this workshop, I'll also show you how to supplement with exercise vitamins. I'm putting air quotes around vitamins and how to adjust your regular movement so exercise supplementation isn't as necessary. Pre-order now at mpmpbook.com. That's my perfect movement plan, mpmpbook.com. And you'll automatically receive a bonus class ticket. But wait, there's more. Um, I'm going to be drawing three names from these pre-orders and these peeps are going to get a small group session with me to go over your perfect movement plan. So you can ask me questions and we'll brainstorm your specific situation on a Zoom call together. I cannot wait. So head over to mpmpbook.com for all the details on the book and the bonuses. Read through the frequently asked questions, order the book, get the class, and then get moving. I'm so excited to share this workbook. It's the missing puzzle piece you've been waiting for, and it's so very actionable. This is the Move Your DNA podcast, a show where movement science meets your everyday life. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist, author, and early riser. All bodies are welcome here. Let's get moving. public health model that organizes how everyone spends their time into five domains, sleep, leisure, occupation, transportation, and home, meaning you can sort the time that you spend into these categories, sleep, leisure, occupation, transportation, and home. This is also known as the sloth model, S-L-O-T-H. So I've been using this model a lot in some of the work that I've been doing lately, mostly more academic writing geared towards showing where movement fits into those categories. So I flesh out leisure movement. That would be the most exercise we do. Um, Occupation movements, that would be jobs that keep us physically active or adding a standing desk at work for for more movement on the clock. Uh, I mentioned transportation and how that's a really great domain to add more movement Uh, in traveling to and from places on foot or wheels versus a car. And then home movement. That's picking the more active version of household or yard work to increase one's daily actions or physical activity. But what about sleep? I never talk about sleep or movement in these papers because, frankly, the idea of adding, adding movement as transportation or sweeping instead of using a robot vacuum, which are super straightforward examples, those are often mind-blowing. So other health researchers leave off sleep 
as a place for movement because obviously you cannot move while sleeping. Except that you can move more while sleeping, as I've noted a bit in Move Your DNA and in many other articles that I've written. So what are the sleeping movements? That's what we're talking about today. But first, let's hear a bit from our new sponsor, the Perfect Fit Mattress Company. Uh, Just kidding. This episode is not brought to you by a mattress company or a pillow company for that matter. In fact, I'm mostly going to be talking about why and how I sleep on the floor, and that is without a mattress or pillow. So why do I sleep this way uh, for the movement, in short? So here's where we begin. What are the movements that go into bedtime? Well, there are the movements that get us to and from our sleep surfaces. The amount a sleep surface presses our body or pressure. Uh, our sleep positions, and then there are the movements associated with the making of the bed. So let me go through those. Most of you listening sleep on a bed with a surface that's roughly the same height as the seat of a chair. So why are all the mattresses this height? Well, beds this height don't require much leg use to get in and out of. One of the challenges to getting onto the floor is that the hinges in the ankles, knees, hips, and spine have to articulate. These parts need to be mobile and not only mobile, but strong to get to and from the floor with ease. Sleeping on something closer to the ground gets you moving all of the parts that get you to and from the ground at least twice a day. Pressure-related movements are the smaller movements of the skin and what's just beneath. So take your thumb right now and push it into one of your thighs. So take a look at that. What's happening beneath the thumb is a type of movement. The tissue you're pressing into has to change position when it's pressed on. And the amount it changes is based on how firm your thumb is, how hard you push, and also the state of that of which you're pushing into. So when you lie on something hard, it pushes into you more than when you lie on something softer. And also the stiffer your body is, the harder anything pushing into your body feels, even if it's not pushing that hard. Sleep positions are a little simpler. They're the movements that you hold while sleeping, and I guess it's the the movements that you also make shifting between positions. And bed-making movements are probably not that important to this conversation, except that many cultures that do floor sleep set up and then put up their bedding each day. And the fact that we at one time had to set up and then break down our bedding regularly is perhaps why we came to fixed beds over time, right? It was simply easier. as less movement to have to do that, less hassle. But here in our home, my home, um, we also put down and pick up our bed each day to deal with moisture issues, but also to maximize the space in our home so that we don't have to dedicate so much of a floor plan. Like think about how much infrastructure you have in your house that is dedicated to house empty beds that nobody is using. So these are not really physical benefits per se, but they're part of the larger container that movement fits in. And and maybe some of these other reasons are why, you know, movement has gone away. So I always consider those as well. Okay, so now you have a sense of the movements that we'll be talking about. I'm going to answer some of your questions on sleep moves or sleep moves, right? So like 
the letter, like imagine the word move, but with a bunch of Z's in it at the end. Um, I get a lot of questions about this, obviously, because we're not by large a floor sleeping culture. So yeah, it's odd. You want to know about it. And so I'm here to answer your questions, but I'm not here alone to help me answer them. I'm going to bring in someone who also floor sleeps in my house. That's kind of weird, um, except that it's my husband, Michael. So um, he's going to help me do some chatting about this sort of strange thing that we do. Well, I thought it would be nice because you and I sleep in the same situation, which is floor sleeping, but we're both different sleepers. We're, we have different sleep styles, different sleep needs, I would say. Mm-hmm. Very different. How would you describe the differences? Uh I am a very hard, deep, coma-like sleeper, and you are whatever the opposite of that is, right. like a butterfly sleeper. Right. Do, uh, do we know how butterflies sleep? Yeah, butterflies sleep very lightly. Yeah. You can ask any butterflyologist. And um, and also, you sleep more than I sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need, a, I need at least nine to nine and a half hours to feel good. And I need like seven. Right. Any more than seven actually makes me start chipping away at how good I feel. So anyway, I mean, we're a sample of two, but at least there's a broader range. And we also have just different physical needs a little bit. Like there's a lot of questions I got about snoring. Mm -hmm. That falls more into your I don't think anyone in our family snores (laughs) that I have heard. (laughs) No, that's true. You have not heard anyone in this family snoring. Um, Okay. So first question, I'll let you answer this. When, well, I guess we can both answer it. When and why did you start sleeping on the ground? It goes back to when... Well, when I lived in Japan, I'm trying to think. That, that, yeah, that was the first time. I lived in Japan for a while when I was young. And um, it's normal there for people to sleep on, they call it a futon, um, but really it's a, a thin mat on top of um, tatami, a sort of soft flooring. So that was really where I started. Although years before that, again, because I'm a very deep sleeper, I noticed that I can sleep on sort of any surface. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, but uh, that was really where I suppose I sort of perfected the art and understood how to position my body and all that kind of thing. But when we, our, our first homes together had beds. So like we were a bed sleeping family. Even when we first had kids, we were still in a bed. So I would say like I did not have, besides camping, you know, a lot of experience sleeping on the floor sleepovers with friends like you just sort of sleep but I always I did always feel sort of uncomfortable it was too brief like I would be more achy for sleeping on the floor so it would never be something that would be my preference but just from um I guess more scientific perspective I stumbled on a paper when I was researching pelvic pain like that was my my work when I was in graduate school and there was this paper that someone had written on um instinctive sleeping and resting postures and it was done by a physiotherapist, Michael Tetley, and he had was trying to explain like a lot of back pain, like back pain's a normal thing for animals, but the phenomenon of sleeping on the ground sort of works it out, keeps it at bay, which which coming from the background that I was coming from seemed opposite. Like, don't you need a lot of cushion and support and ergonomics and the right mattress and the right pillow to avoid back pain. So he was sort of saying something the opposite, which was pressure that is created by you being on the ground is sort of, he had very simple language for it. I understand it now 
differently. I don't I don't think he's fleshed out his argument very well. But he the paper that he was writing about was showing the different sleeping positions. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. OK. And um, I also was always like if I had one thing that was my health nemesis, it's headaches. And and then I was like, OK, why? I would, you know, do some stretches to like keep those headaches at bay. But I would just slowly realize that pillow that I was using was keeping my head in the position that when I was doing my stretches, I was trying to get my head and neck out of. And so I just slowly got rid of a pillow over um, months and months. I mean, I think it took me like a year going down in height and allowing my neck to sort of get the same stretches I was trying to do correctively at the end of a long night of sleeping on a pillow to stave off a headache. I was like, I'm just going to get rid of this pillow. And that made such a difference. And I think that that's why I was so keen on trying sleeping on the floor. I was just like, okay, pillowless actually adds more movement to my neck. Maybe mattressless will do that too. I find that I use the pillow sort of um, as a bolster depending on my situation. Right now I got a lot of hay fever happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I woke up with a completely clogged ear um, related to the hay fever. So last night I wadded up the pillow so that my head was quite elevated to support the drainage. Um, and I feel a lot better this morning. So I feel like sort of not throwing away the pillow, but having it handy. Sure. Um, to, uh, you know, on a, on a per night or per need kind of basis. Or per person, or you per know. Person. And actually, that was one of the questions that was here. Okay, the question is, I would be curious what it's like sleeping on the floor during sickness, such as congestion, which you were just talking about. We switch up between sleeping on the floor and the bed regularly mixing it up. But during times we are congested, we seem to find sleeping on the floor uncomfortable as opposed to sleeping propped up on a cushy surface. Just curious if this is something others have experienced and what they do to make things more comfortable, especially for younger children. And I would say, you know, like we're our whole family has been floor round sleepers, but definitely when there's coughing or sickness, I don't think a cushy surface is what we need. And, and we'll talk in a second about the surfaces we actually sleep on. But I do think elevation of the head over the shoulders is something that we would definitely employ just using blankets or pillows. Um, we, we use, I mean, I feel like a lot of our house is just cushions that we drag around. It's like we're still building forts. Yeah. <laughs> our our, our Furniture, if you will, is just forts and blankets um, to suit our needs, which is nice because then they can go in any room. I also think that another way of framing the floor sleeping thing is it's it's more like interchangeable sleeping or superchangeable or mobile or non-committal sleeping. Like we end up sleeping like over any span, any season, like we'll employ a lot of different sleeping areas. You're right. Like our baseline is our, you know, floor beds. But there's a lot of times somebody is on uh, is on the, well, we have a couch right now because we had a family reunion. So right. sometimes you're on the couch because of some certain need or sometimes you're using a, a different part of the house or a different type of bedding. So it's like... It's almost like just having the idea that just get what you need um, without this idea that it's got to be this particular way every single night, I think is sort of a bigger theme than even just like floor sleeping, like sleep in the place that serves you best. Yeah, it's flexible. flexible it's flexible. It's word. flexible bedding. It's the same thing as flexible seating in schools. This idea that maybe a chair 
for eight hours in this way doesn't work for every single body. So to not insist that everyone just keep adopting that same model. And yeah, we, I mean, we sleep in different rooms of the house and we, we just, the needs of our, our needs vary. Yeah. And and with the kids as well, like their emotional needs vary. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes they want to sleep closer to us and sometimes they want to be very independent. And um, so they have that as well, but sort of how they feel emotionally um, can guide Mm -hmm. their preference for where they're sleeping. I love talking with you. I mean, you just have such um, great insights. Um, but yeah, it's flexible. It, it's more than about the surface. It's about the malleability right. that we can offer because we just don't feel so compartmentalized in like the label of the bedroom and where you sleep. And it's nice to have the baseline that is yeah. minimal. Yeah. And then you build from there as opposed to a baseline that is like a whole bunch of cushions or things or needs. And then it's harder to move from that baseline to other things. Well, and that so that goes for sleep. It also goes for other traditional bed activities. Like what? I'm not going to say, <laughs> but just so you can take the thing that we we're just talking about. And I think sometimes we get into the there is a place and a time and a situation. And so how could how could we co-sleep? We, you know, like because you just you got to be flexible. It'll be malleable. I'm going to stop talking because I'm embarrassed. All right. I don't even know what you're talking about. I know, exactly. Okay, next question. Let's talk about our actual bed setup. So the question was, as a New Zealander, I'm really intrigued by your sleeping on a sheepskin because we sleep on sheepskins. I know you learned about it here in New Zealand, but I've never come across it. I don't know if that's true. But anyway, can you give some specifics on how it works? Do you put a bed sheet on top of the sheepskin or sleep directly on it? So I don't know. If we learned about sleeping on a sheepskin in New Zealand, as much as that, when we were there, we found how easy it was to source sheepskins well so that we could sleep on them coming home once we left New Zealand because we were there for a few months. But anyway. I think we learned that at a garage sale. I I had bought a sheepskin at a garage sale years before. Right. But then we realized how comfortable it was. Yeah. So here's what our bedding looks like now. Now, we've had many iterations of sleeping getting lower over time. All of that is written on my website. I will link to all those articles in the show notes because you can see the documentation starting over the last 10 years of just how we have been working on sleep hygiene, including the structures upon which we sleep. So I won't spend a lot of time because I'll just go to where we are now. So the sheepskins go onto the floor, and yes, we just put a bottom sheet right on top of those, and then our bodies, and then a top sheet, and then whatever blankets you will need. And then um, we went to sheepskins because we live in the Pacific Northwest, and some of our uh, more synthetic materials, like foam that we were sleeping on, um, and even non-synthetic, like yeah. even a wool mattress, like there's just, it was too much heat trapping and heat generated when we we're sleeping to avoid mold from growing underneath. So we really needed to be able to lift our bedding to let um, all the fresh air be underneath the bed every night so that we didn't have a mold problem. So that's how we came to it because we've done, again, like I said, many different iterations. Then someone asked, what is the care maintenance cleaning protocol for sheepskin bedding? And like, I don't know if we're the right people to ask because we're not, we're not really obsessed with cl- clean. 
Is that the right way to describe? Well, that's certainly true. You? Yeah. I mean, have we ever cleaned <clears throat> them? I feel like they've been brushed. They've been brushed. Uh, they get a, a regular shaking and beating yeah. outside. And they're hung the, outside a And lot. they're hung outside. So it just kind of... Yeah. In the sunshine. Yeah, there's nothing intense beyond that. And my limited understanding of sheepskin is that it tends to be pretty antimicrobial to begin with. It doesn't tend to be real friendly housing to microbes, is what I understand, though I could be completely wrong. But yeah, and and I think hanging it every day and moving it and not letting it right. sit in the same place goes a long way towards not accumulating germs. Well, and that's interesting because our understanding of how bedding works is a really sedentary bed model. I mean, mattresses themselves can get pretty gross because they just sit in one space. But yes, there's a lot of agitation. They're constantly being drug around. When we camp, we take, we'll even take them with us, you know, when we're car camping as, you know, instead of using um, camping mats, we'll just roll those out and put them across the floor of the bed, so they 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 live a very um, dynamic life. They do our sheepskin as far as bedding goes, um, and we've had them for years now. I mean, like they've held up; they're very durable yeah. and they're clean. They don't smell, and the sheep, the top sheet, maybe helps. Like they're not really coming into contact with anything biological. No, as much as it is really nice to lie down naked on a fresh sheepskin. Um, we don't do that, um, and they're not that fresh anymore. That they're, we would admit. That's right, <laughs> but they're they're uh, years old now. But I think they still have a lot of years in front of them. I yeah. mean, the the integrity and the support and the cushion, they're really holding up after a lot of or several years. What four, four Five? years? I did see a comment on your Instagram post, your last one about the sheepskins. Somebody had mentioned felting wool uh, instead of using a sheepskin to use a felted wool pad. and uh, You love that idea. I love that idea, especially since we have sheep and we have a lot of wool. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just a nice I- idea. I'd, if, a, if an animal could be spared its life, um, I think that would be pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's a whole different conversation. Well, and I think it'd be... Um more portable because the sheepskins can be heavy. But I do think if you had a felted pad, you could just roll it and put it on your backpack. And someone else had asked about one of these questions here is just about traveling. Like, how do you do floor sleep and traveling? So I do think having some sort of pad that's comfortable for you that gives you a little bit of support and, and have it be lighter would make a little big difference for people who are on the move and trying to floor sleep. Yeah, for sure. But also with the question on traveling, again, I see it as being a flexible bedding family. It's like traveling is made super easy because you can adjust to any situation. It's like, oh, you're in, I don't know, Tokyo, for example, where we've never traveled. Um, But, you know, somewhere with a very small amount of space, it's like you just call the hotel desk and say, we'd like a few sheets Mm -hmm. and you throw them down on the ground and, you know, you're just very flexible to sleep anywhere. And we have. Like, I feel like we are often, you know, people like, oh, you know, you could stay here, but we only have one bed and there's four of you. I'm like, oh, we're we're totally fine. You know, we can just we just need a sheet and a blanket. And um, and often we are not sleeping in the 
overly cushy bed. Nobody sleeps on the bed in the hotel room because it's so it's so soft that it doesn't serve any of us, and all four of us are sleeping on the floor. Yeah, For, the firmness really does. It feels so much better to my body. I'll, I mean, I feel like if we get, went to a hotel with a super cushy bed, our kids would want to be in it. Like they like the novelty of it, but but they both also notice that as far as regular sleep, it's like dessert, you know, like dessert is amazing and great, but you feel kind of crappy if you eat it all the time and you can feel the difference, the less sort of dessert like all of your food is. And it's the same thing with sleeping. You just go, oh, I feel, I just feel more refreshed when I wake up. Um, Okay. So I've ditched my, this is another question. I've ditched my pillow inspired by your blog, but I won't persuade my partner to ditch our shared mattress. What other sleep moves can I do solo without giving up the very real comfort of sleeping with my favorite human? That's very sweet. I know. It's very sweet. So one thing, you know, I talked about the different types of sleep moves. You don't have to ditch a mattress. You could make it lower, right? Like that would get you more movement getting in and out of the bed. Um, I wrote an article a long time ago. I think it was actually in Men's Health. I, I will look for it. And if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But it had these steps where what you're essentially going for is more challenge to the pressure. So in your mattress that you sleep in regularly, it sort of molds to your body. So every time you get into bed, it's already been you have moved the mattress to suit your shape or to re- best work with your shape. So you just sleeping on a different mattress, you know, um, or to sleep on the side that your partner normally sleeps on is often enough to start that push on your body in a different way, sort of makes you feel uncomfortable, right? Because it's moving you differently. If you can sleep together, but if you have a guest bedroom, maybe like, hey, let's sleep in the guest bedroom, completely different mattress. Um, So those are some ways where you can still be together in a bed or, you know, in something a little bit more cushioned that's not the floor, but be challenging yourself in these ways, physical ways. When you start sleeping on something that's firmer, it tends to hurt if you're not used to pressing on your body, right? Like that's what it is. If you think about all the things you put your shoes, you put your feet into cushioned shoes and everything you put your butt on has a layer of cushion on it and everything you lie on has all of this cushion on it and so it's no wonder our bodies can't really tolerate being pushed firmly by something like the earth i mean that's why going barefoot is uncomfortable that's why sitting on the ground is uncomfortable one of the reasons not just the getting to and from discomfort but the fact is our bodies have been conditioned to minimal pressure um, and I did an interview on this for, I think it was for the BBC, talking about this idea of like pressure ha- application has now become a therapy. People will go get therapeutic pressure applied to their body. That's body work, but it could also be um, for some people who have really um, become really sensitive to pressure. Like it, it registers as lots of pain for them. Um, they have to apply pressure regularly to sort of reprogram the hyperreactivity that they're having to low levels of pressure. So it's just like that, floor sleeping. And so just getting on the ground before you go to bed and rolling your body on the floor, think of like tenderizing yourself. The more you tenderize yourself throughout the day, even if it's for like one or two minutes, is a way to get the sleep moves in maybe a non-sleep scenario. Sleep moves are hard because you're like, trying to do a new thing for eight hours. 
that's hard. You wouldn't just start running and go out and run seven miles, right? You go a little bit at a time. So you can get your sleep move just by roll your body all over the ground and go, I'm going to do my body tenderizing for 20 minutes and then 30 minutes. And, and it can be exercising other things at the same time. But when you get down on the floor and roll around, especially your tender bits, the points, your hip bones and your elbows, that's a way of getting the same type of movements that we're talking about here. Because I guess sleep, move, sleep moves are just ground floor moves, but we're just not a ground floor culture at all. So we just have to go slowly. And if this is just a little shout out for people who are like, I could never get down on the ground and roll around. I'd be too tender. Put a comforter on the ground and then roll around on top of the comforter. Like give yourself some way to reduce the pressure a little bit. But I'm trying to explain the principle of what's going on. You have to tenderize. Going back to the question that was asked, if I were in that position um, where my partner wanted not to ditch the mattress situation that they have, I would do similar to what I did in our Ford truck with its overly cushy for me bottom. Uh, I mean, in the truck, I found a foam sled and I cut it to size and put it underneath to give it an extra um, firmness underneath me. So I would do something like that. I would find some kind of a mat um, that makes things firmer on my side of the bed Mm -hmm. um, and kind of firm up that way. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why those sleep number beds were like, get a different right. firmness. Like, you could just do it analog or, I guess the other one was analog too. You can do it DIY. Put a bed of nails under your side because you're tough. Um, all right, so uh, some people are concerned about dampness, both from below wooden floors and moisture while sleeping. Try to, They try to convince me that air circulation under the bed is necessary for health. Can you comment on this? And I think we do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you do. Having a big moldy underneath your bed <laughs> is not fun, especially yeah. the day that you discover that it's there. Yeah. So, so, yes, I agree. I just think that you don't necessarily need air flowing under the bed while you're sleeping on it, but your sleep surface in general needs to be ventilated well. So picking it up is pretty Certainly great. Certainly in damp climates. Yeah. And one of the great things about floor sleeping and picking up your bed is, and again, as radical as this may seem, this is a, this would be a much more common global experience than it is for like the, the United, United States. States or even your most European countries. Like this is a very common thing is like the idea that you would have so many rooms that you are not in most of the time is just a very unique outlying behavior. And so when we roll up our beds, like you get a whole other floor. You get a whole other free room for stuff, which is um, efficient. It's my it's another way that I just like to keep harping on like what we view as minimalism is more maximalism, just depending on the point of view. And when our kids were small, when the beds went up and there's the big empty room, I mean, there's nothing that attracts young children more than a big empty space right. to right. fill up with their imagination and toys. And, and cartwheels. And cartwheels. And jumps. Yeah, it's a safe room, right? Right, Because you, they're not trying to move around anything. Just very, very minimal. Um, any pre-sleep moves to help transition to restful sleep? I mean... <sighs> This all depends on what you consider a pre-sleep move. Certainly tenderizing yourself a little bit before, you know, like think about you've been fixed in a position the bulk of the day. 
um, and the, you've been in that position most days of most years of your life, I mean, that's why we like cushioned surfaces is the surface then allows us to take that position that we're sort of becoming and it lets us continue to be it. Something flat and firm forces you to get out of that position and that's why it feels uncomfortable. So I wouldn't recommend floor sleeping as where you start a body mobilizing, body strengthening journey. I think it's I think it's farther along because you want to it's all about distribution. Like you don't want to not move your parts most hours of the day and then go right into having them challenge all night long. <laughs> all of them. Like going from like imagine a chair position to a lying out flat position is a significant challenge. It's like for those people who've ever tried um the my happy feet alignment toe socks. These are socks that you slip on that um have this portion that fits in between each toe that pushes the toes apart. And people put them on and they're fine. They're like, wow, this is a great stretch. And then they go to bed wearing them. And then like <laughs> 90 minutes into the sleep, you just wake up like yelling because you've been slowly pushing all of your toes apart for 90 minutes. Sleeping in a in a more challenging, dynamically, it's like sleeping on a surface that moves you more, especially when you're not conscious to like make small adjustments is going to be exasperating. You know, it's going to feel overwhelming. So... So the pre-sleep moves could be thought of as start working on your general mobility and strength first. In Start floor sitting first, you know, where you're used to having the ground push against your buttock flesh or your hamstring flesh or lay, lie down on the floor. You know, you'll be like, wow, my hips are, you know, the hips have these bony points in them. That's going to be a higher point of pressure and do that for a long period of time before you move on to something where you're where you're sort of stuck in it for seven to nine hours. You might also find that you just have ideas of how you're supposed to be lying down that like, what if you just took it like a, a child or an amoeba and just sort of sprawled yourself on the ground in weird ways that mm -hmm. might actually yeah. be more comfortable in that because... You may have never utilized such ways of lying down because you've never been in that kind of on-the-floor position. I think also uh, if, you, if you happen to have the opportunities in your life to take naps, um, that's a good time to do it, especially mm. on a day that you feel like taking a nap. Usually you're so ready to sleep on a time that you're like, I got to take a nap that that's a good time to just like put a sheet out on your rug or whatever and, and go do it there. And, and then you're not even worried about if you get fully asleep or anything like that, but just try to be as relaxed as you can on the floor for that half hour or hour or whatever you do. Well, and that's a great suggestion for the person who asked about floor sleeping. But the partner is like, we'll just pick up your sleeping. You're non-nighttime sleeping. You're non-bedtime mm -hmm. sleeping, you know, where you're giving yourself a smaller dose. So that paper I was talking about before by that physiotherapist was called Instinctive Sleeping and Resting Postures, an Anthropological and Zoological Approach to Treatment of Low Back and Joint Pain. It was in the British Medical Journal in 2000, and I will link to that in the show notes because there's some cool pictures. But essentially, that's what the point of that article was. So this person was, I, I think he was South... South African. I'm not 
sure, but he had he had grown up in the bush and knew of all the more traditional sleeping postures, and he was demonstrating them in this paper to show how. And if you go onto my website, there's a tour of my house, and I show briefly, like, you know, you don't need a you you might want something to prop up your head. You, I don't think you need anything to prop up your head when you're laying on your side. Uh, letting your head drop down to the side. Someone else asked another question about that. Like, I do that all the time. Just, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with longer extended stretches of your neck, depending on how stiff your neck is to begin with, right? So, like, if you want to see sort of what these different versions of sprawling out, I mean, he's got versions where, how do I explain You're Imagine side sleeping, and then turning your torso face down. So your knees are pointing one way, your torso is down, and his head going the opposite. It looks like what people would do in a yoga class. And so I think that's his point, is like all these sort of stretches that we're doing to mimic all these ranges of motion, when you have them, it makes sleeping on the ground easy because you can adapt your body to the shape that's under underfoot or underbod. It's exactly the same phenomenon of going from not wearing a, a minimal shoe or wearing a conventional shoe to being barefoot. Your foot does not accommodate what's beneath. You you can't, the foot isn't pliable enough um, or, or sometimes it's too pliable, right? It can't hold itself well. Like there's not enough strength in the skin, but the more you do it, the more flexible you get, the more being in a unique position isn't the thing that sends your body into a frenzy. So so again, I think holistically floor sleeping is a part of a wider approach to keeping your body malleable and strong. It's just a, it's another place in which that can happen. But just like you don't kick off your shoes and start going barefoot, you need to transition over a period of time or scale it. Maybe you'll maybe you never feel comfortable wearing barefoot, but you feel okay wearing a thin sandal. Maybe you're just gonna be on a lower mattress and and maybe you need a pillow. Maybe you want that arch support, if you will. It's all about finding a little bit more movement that works for you without exacerbating something else. I think a big part of the I mean if if you're going to um, make us an instruction guide on how to be comfortable on the floor. I think a big part of it is just identifying like my pelvis is hitting the floor really hard. And so then you, whether it's bolstering with another body part Mm -hmm. or a pillow or twisting away, you know, it's like the equation is kind of like relieve the intense pressure parts in whatever way that you can so that ever so that the pressure onto the floor gets distributed and sometimes that's in for me it's often a folded arm under my head as a pillow um or yeah like you said uh, twisting the torso in a different direction than the hips um or uh getting my knees sort of puzzling in with each other rather than stacked on each other like all these different ways to just relieve the or spread the pressure across the body parts and off of the um, body parts that are talking a lot when you get on the floor at first. I feel like Diana Hill, I did an episode with her not too long ago on psychological flexibility. And I think that there's a psychological 
flexibility element to this, which is, and you can see it from the questions that you get, which is, I'm a side sleeper. I'm a back sleeper. I'm a stomach sleeper. And this idea that that there's a single repetitive thing that we do and that is our sleep position. And, And to only be like, well, if I can't sleep on my side, do I have to sleep on my back? And what we're saying is, well, you can sleep on your side. And for people who are asking about like hip points or, you know, whatever, maybe it's sleep on your side and a slightly twisted pelvis so that you're not on that pressure point. Maybe there's more than three sleep positions. Maybe there's an almost infinite number of them. So yeah, change up your sleep position that you feel comfortable in by just a few degrees, not by 90, mm-hmm. not by 180. And and then also just know that it's it's like child child led everything. It's you led sleeping. So if I have done a big hike um, or if I carried a lot through the day or if I tweaked my neck, I'm going to have a t-shirt handy to prop under my head if I need it. Like I don't need a pillow on a regular basis, but there are some times where I'm like, oh, or just whatever the sleep situation is, the travel situation, I, I will just bolster myself just like I do during an exercise in a way that makes it more comfortable for me. And and so just have the freedom. I don't think that we feel the freedom. I think it's about this. It's like all about, well, Katie said you did it like this. Or, you know, like the manual says you do it like this. I'm like, manuals are limited by word count and writer fatigue. So the idea of this is a scalable principle and you might have to tweak it to fit your body. And that's part of how the whole thing works. So feel comfortable doing that. You can't do it wrong. You're just introducing a little bit more movement as it works for you. Um, okay, this is sort of a practical question. The floor can get pretty cold in the winter if you live in an old wooden house without central heating, which we did, Ooh, we for, sure did. for a really long time. How do you handle this? Um, Although, in fairness, the winters here in the Northwest yeah, are Pacific pretty mild. North, yeah, I can hear my friend Heidi right now going, uh-huh, mm-hmm. sure. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, add more things on the bottom. Yeah, I I, I mean, we have we've taken the sheepskins out camping in literally freezing weather um and they have served us well um so so i'm trying to imagine a coldness coming up from the floor you know that that penetrates the sheepskins i'm sure it's totally possible Mm -hmm. um but yeah i would just put a probably a foam layer some kind of insulating layer underneath it um as I say it, the the thing that I immediately think is whatever I put there, I want to have a place to put it um, when I pick up the the bed at the end of the day. So, so something that is rollable or hangable or put awayable. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, whatever is whatever is going to insulate you from the cold, but not comp- not you know, not compromise what it is you're after. Right, the firmness. Which in my case is the firmness. Yeah, and and this is like, there's another question too that I'll just paraphrase, which is like, what about spiders and bugs and things on the ground that you want to be up and away from? And so I would say it, it depends on where you live. You know, for us, you know, I was reading all the questions, my kids wanted to hear all the questions about floor sleeping and I was getting their answers and they're like, like for spiders, I don't necessarily think of, being up higher or lower as being a big deterrent for spiders. But then, of course, you remind me, like... Some places have very large (laughs) spiders who are able to climb a lot. And I've been in places, you know, I've been in 
I've slept in countries that have snakes and like other things that you definitely that the people there have bring themselves away from the ground. I think that's where hammocks, a lot of hammocks come in to play. So if if that's a concern for you, then you can build a raised platform and then still just put down everything on top of this raised platform. Um, and then someone also asked about dust. You know, I know that there's people who have a lot of allergies and how we deal with the cleaning of the floor. Anytime we get cleaning questions, I think it's really funny because... You're asking I, the wrong person. Well, I was like, how do you deal with like barefoot? And I was like, I, I had a sheep in my house the other day. Like, we're just not... <laughs> we are... It's just not our... We're not organized internally to be really... Um, see a big barrier between outside and inside types of things. Like to me, it's just all one big place that we live in. But Well, to answer that, to me, the answer of that question is by picking up the sheepskin and shaking it out regularly, I'm creating a far less dusty sleeping experience mm -hmm. than having right. a bed sitting there all the time. And I do, and I do make a point to really vacuum the area that the, that our bed is often in or wherever the kid's bed's in. I have one one kid who's more sensitive, I would say, to dust. The other kid doesn't. She could sleep in a dust devil and she'd be fine. But but um yeah, I don't think I don't think I I don't think it's that big of a difference, those twelve inches or those twenty inches. I guess if you're right up in a corner where all the dust bunnies are, you know, regular vacuuming or if you want a, like an air filter, you know, to be close to that. But in general, it's just the same cleaning I do for anything else. I mean, I definitely vacuum once or twice a week. We have a dog, so I just feel like there's like dog hair. No one's allergic to dogs, but the same thing. You're just trying to keep, I guess it's a different type of sleep hygiene, like the literal hygiene. Yeah. And it's just doing what you need to do, kind sure. of like with the person whose husband is on the other side of the bed. If your bed needs to be raised up off the floor, like by all means, have it be raised up off the floor. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to then go to a super cushy mattress. Um, but I don't want large East Asian style spiders crawling up into my bed with me. Again. Uh, again. <laughs> as far as like someone was asking about like how we hang the rack, the rack that you just, you created a rack, which is... um I mean, it's a closet rack. Yeah, here I can see them right here in the closet. Yeah, I just got a, some uh, closet rack hangers, which, you know, extend out from the wall a, a good 12 inches or so and put a, yeah, just attached them, found some studs in the wall. On the second go around, um, the first time I didn't use studs and I learned about that. Um, the whole thing came ripping out of the wall when one of our children's friends tried to use it as a ballet. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're like... Look like a gymnastics yeah. parallel bar. She They're like, oh, put her no. leg up on it, and the whole thing came crashing down. Um, but yeah, uh, just that just extended the um, the racks out wide to accommodate for the length of the sheepskin and um, hung them up. It's not the most beautiful thing in the world. I'm sure if I'm sure if beauty was what you were after, you could adjust my method and make it look a bit nicer. Pinterest worthy. Make it Pinterest worthy. I think before we go, we should probably talk about snoring. There's a lot of different questions, but in general, I need to seem to be, would this help with snoring? How, do, how like, what are the mechanics of snoring, which are fascinating? Maybe I'll do a, I'm not, I'm in no way a sleep or a snoring expert, but it, there are, I mean, there are spacing issues, alignment issues that have to do with 
sleep apnea and snoring, but maybe you're the person to talk about snoring. I probably am. Uh, if I sleep by myself, I am a snorer because I like to go to sleep on my back. That's the most comfortable. That's the way that I get most relaxed when I go to sleep. But the uh, trade-off uh, when I'm not sleeping with myself is that's also the position where I snore the most. Um, so I've learned, really I've learned that just through the feedback from my family at 1 and 2 a.m., um, sort of what position I'm in at the time that they tell me to stop being so loud, um, and then I turn to another position. Um, so for me, uh, it really came to understanding the kyphosis happening in my upper back and my neck and, and sort of uh, adjusting myself so that I'm not kinking my neck, which if I'm on my back, my neck is being kinked and that's leading to the snoring. So again, it comes down to just using the pillow in a bolstering sort of way. And for me, it'll be sort of curled, uh, not exactly fetal, but moving into that uh, style of position um, and just bolstering my head so that my neck has the, the least amount of kinking happening in it. But I find that easiest to do not on a cushy mattress um, where, you know, the weight of my head will start pushing down on all the soft parts. But to have a, a firm floor to put then a firm pillow um, between my head uh, is how I is how I make it so that I am not snoring. Well, so, and I'll just explain the the mechanics. So, if you think of that cur extra curve of the upper back, that's called hyperkyphosis. So too much curve of the upper back, where where your upper back really rounds excessively forward. When you have that, you also paired with it tend to have a lot of lordosis, excessive lordosis, and that's the, the curve that goes in the opposite direction of the neck. So if you imagine sort of the cartoon older person folded over with that dowager's hump on the upper back, you get one curve, like what makes that curve is you've got one curve really going forward, and then just above it is a big curve going back. So if you imagine the air that needs to get through your throat when you're breathing, instead of your air sort of moving up and down this straight tube between your mouth and your chest or your lungs. It's got now two curves in it that it has to go through. There's a kink in it. And so when you lie on your back, you know, if, you, if your head's out in front of you, when you lie on your back, your head drops back and you lying on your back exaggerates that curve even more. Of, of the neck. Of the neck. or Yeah, of what's passing through. And so that is the one benefit to a pillow right? If you have this excessive curvature, the pillow is like an orthotic, right? I think I've used those terms in some of the articles that I've written. The pillow is an orthotic, like that's its benefit. So I don't, I'm not a fan of like stripping away the pillow in the bed as much as dealing with the hyperkyphosis, the hyperlordosis in a stepwise manner, including looking at the behaviors that got you to hyperkyphosis and hyperlordosis, which could even be sleeping with a pillow, right? Which mm -hmm. is why we didn't issue our kids these common cultural devices that then later you might have to wean yourself off of, like shoes, like really, or really conventional stiff, you know, shoes that af that affect or change the shape of the body. So what what I hear you saying is when you're on your back, the softness 
allows that curve to stay. Like the, the softness is is allowing that same curve just sinking into the ground, but you'll switch to your side where you are able to pull yourself out of such a deep curve and then you don't you let the air come in and out a straighter tube. Yeah, I would say I have better control over how I place my body when yeah. the when the surface is firm. Yeah. It it'd be like trying to do yoga on top of a really cushiony mattress. That sounds hard and counterproductive. Well, I mean, although I the, the thing that in my mind is like, well, imagine doing yoga on a waterbed, sort of like stand up paddle yoga. If you're conscious, it's fine. That scenario when you're conscious is what allows you to be like, wow, I have all my weight on my right, right. side because the right side's pushing down. So then you can correct it. But when you're sleeping, you're not doing that. You're just sort of repeating the pattern of really pushing down right. hard through your right arm. And so, so what we're trying to do is firm up the surface so that the surface is doing some of the work for you. The, the surface is pushing into you in a way that you need to be pushed and, and adjust. And you can calibrate yourself. You're actually, even while sleeping, you're learning from how you are relating against the ground rather than just having the ground fall away from you. Uh, well, and I actually think that that's a, another common question. It's probably on this list here too. It is, aren't I messing up my level of rest by doing more movement while I'm sleeping? And I think, I think it's a fair question, but I think the point at which you're really disrupting your sleep is probably relating more to the work that you have done during the non-sleep period of time. Like if you are trying to make sleeping on a firm surface your number one way of getting more movement, I do think you could be interfering with your rest. It's too much to be doing during your rest period of time. But if you follow the steps of, you know, like, like I said, mobilizing yourself throughout the day, doing smaller, like I love that nap suggestion, so great. Um, sleeping on different mattresses, you know, um, that are already in your home, that would help. But I do think this type of movement that we're talking about, which are pressure-related movements, sort of like slow readjustments to the body where you're pushing into it, I don't think it's taking you out of that deep sleep because it's not big giant joint positions. People move while they're sleeping and there's, um, but there's a different degree. Like some people move just a little bit. Some people move a lot and they have it. I actually identified a genetic component for like, if you have these particular genes, you move a lot more frequently through the night than someone who doesn't have these particular genetic um, markers. Um, so that's not so much the type of movement that I'm talking about. It's more about, about pressure and slow adjustment. I think it's like the number that pops into my head is like 12 times an hour. The average, you can still be in your resting state, um, changing positions. And I do think like I have, I have a dog and the dog is changing positions throughout the night and moving around. Like I, I, I don't know if I'd fully buy. And she's buy. a well-exercised dog. Yeah, and, and I I don't necessarily buy that that would be an indication of not getting a lot of sleep. I tend to think more from an evolutionary perspective that sleep, as we think about it, eight continuous hours in one to two positions in order to get into the deep REM state is, 
is one version of sleep, but I don't necessarily know if that would be like the hallmark of human sleep. I think humans have, again, been sleeping outside in groups dealing with trying to be alert. That was the other thing that paper was talking about. Like you need to have somewhat of alertness. Like that would be a natural state for you to be aware of what's going on around you while you're sleeping. Like I don't think that's in our sleep models right now. And over the years, I've read a lot of things about sleeping and the the one statement I would say that that I can generalize from all the things I've read is that it's really an individual thing. Like I'm sure there's generalizations mm-hmm. can be made, but I've really come to the conclusion that uh, you really just tune into what you need out of sleep, out of your nighttime sleep or <laughs> whatever you sleep, what you yeah, need exactly. out of your sleep and and sort of don't be pushed around too much by what some expert says or, or something that you read that that really you do know what you need, right. generally speaking, yeah. when it comes to, for my sleep, I need, like, it took me a long time to accept that I need, like I said, nine to nine and a half hours, which, you know, most people would say that's too much. Um, but it's like, I'm 46 years old now. Like, I, I have enough experience <laughs> to know that that's when I do best. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, like to trust your own knowing. Right. Um, all right. Well, anything else you want to say? This is – we've gone on long enough for now. There are a lot more questions, I know. Maybe we'll do another episode. No, I'm done. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Okay. That is all we have time for, peeps. We need to actually be done with this show and get our family and ourselves to bed. Michael, thank you for talking with me. All of you out there, thank you for listening. Take it easy, everybody, and rest well. My name is Katie Lush from Kansas City. This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully, you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such. Our theme music was performed by Dan McCormack. This podcast is produced by Brock Armstrong, and the transcripts are done by Annette Yet. Find out more about Katie, her books, and her movement programs at nutritiousmovement.com.